0: Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues, including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world navigating your board career from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation to other top of mind issues such as esg reporting shareholder activism and the insights we share through the bdo center for corporate governance and financial reporting be sure to rate review and subscribe on itunes or spotify let's get started
1: Hello, I'm Amy Rojic, director of Video, Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with Joyce Cacho, an experienced board of director and financial services executive with a passion for advancing board committee effectiveness and get her thoughts on the experiential needs of today's directors as they navigate dramatic changes to traditional business imperatives. Joyce has had an extensive career as a change catalyst and an earned reputation for having a clear and dynamic vision for driving business transformation through focus on P&L, restructuring strategies for business growth, meaningful embedding of environmental, social, and corporate governance, ESG, into enterprise risk management, and being an early adopter of technology and data-driven innovation. She currently serves as a board of director for Sunrise Banks, NA, a U.S. Treasury-regulated financial institution, and is integral in their risk management and regulatory compliance efforts. Community Development Financial Institution, or CDFI, a certified B Corp with a national and state charters, and as a member of the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Previously, she served as an independent board of director for Land Lakes Inc., which ranked 219th on the 14- Fortune 500 in 2021. She also has served as a board trustee for the Nigeria headquartered International Institute of Tropical Agriculture focused on incubating and generating ag tech and food innovations within the life sciences industry. As a regular speaker and thought leader on topics of board governance, finance, ESG and climate change, she's also been honored to be included among Savoy Network's most influential black corporate directors and the directors and board magazine's Directors to Watch. An interesting fun fact, she is fluent in four languages and has lived across the United States, Brazil, and on the African continent. So with that introduction, Joyce, welcome to BDO in the boardroom.
2: Thank you so much, Amy. I'm thrilled to be with you.
1: Um as a follow-up to first meeting you some years ago, pre-pandemic, of course. Correct, correct. And you 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 captured my attention because you were very much a forethinker. On ESG issues, and I remember having mm. a really robust conversation with you. Uh, gosh, that was probably five or six years ago. Yeah, and it was just a really interesting conversation, and it kind of has has stuck in my mind. So I'm glad to have oh. the chance to kind of reconnect and and visit you on some current day thoughts in in that area, among others. Yeah, but- thanks. Yeah, so maybe we'll jump right in and I'll begin by asking you a bit about being a change catalyst and I believe you termed it as an entrepreneur, and perhaps mm-hmm. you can give us a couple of examples as to what that looks like in a director role.
2: Well, um, being a change catalyst is being that person who can translate vision and intention into new operations. And I've been able to do that in the corporate and investment banking world way back in the day, Um, and then also in a role in the chemical manufacturing field as a global chief sustainability officer. And that term, entrepreneur, is new to me, but I thought it really captured what I was afforded to do as an executive, which is take vision and operationalize it to restructure p and um, while being mindful of accountability, data quality, and how is, what does that mean for changing roles for people already in the firm? From a director viewpoint, having that kind of experience means that I walk in um, understanding the importance of strategy and accountability and strategy. And when it comes to the board, particularly um, taking on board the fiduciary accountability for duty of oversight. So um, we sit today where more companies have a purpose-driven mission statement. And really, I think the challenge is to how does one bring that to the the financial uh, documents, so that we're truly baking in value by embedding ESG.
1: Now that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I recently had a conversation um, with a reporter about kind of the the lack of, I guess, strategic alignment as boards start to reshape their composition. And Mm -hmm. one of the issues that they're finding is is the the quest for diversification of the board, where you're trying to go outside of some of the more traditional CEO roles and other roles that have historically been baked into strategy. How do you bring that to the boardroom? How do you ensure you're not losing those specific skill sets and that experience in, in terms of both creating strategy and executing on it? I'll just build a little bit off the first question I asked you, if that's all right. Okay, that's perfectly fine. I think that
2: when you are looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, and some um, have brought in the term belonging that is needed throughout corporations. Hence, to look at boardroom composition, who is actually sitting there, the C suite um indicator that has dominated nomination to corporate boards um, for small businesses, but especially for the fortune 500 companies was uh, a way of identifying people who have had a uh, line of sight across the organization and accountability for part of delivering the, 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 the strategy, right? So implementing and executing the strategy. And I dare say that there are certain um, realities that while we're looking to diversify the boardroom that we have to also be cognizant of. We also, we have not had a history of marginalized people sitting in c suite And so as one looks to eat at the um, challenge from several angles, the boardroom being one of them, the challenge being bringing innovation, bringing change management, bringing prioritizing challenging um, ideas into an organization, one has to look at person from marginalized groups who have had experience in being uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable, in being uh, a hallmark of their character? Character is being curious, so they're not waiting for somebody to bring information to them before they move forward on 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 on, on facilitating change, right? And. So, this is not a journey of dilution in any way. This is a journey of understanding what C suite was the code for. And the C suite term was code for line of sight across the organization. And I dare say, when you're looking to diversify the bodies in the boardroom, you have to look at persons who have had line of sight across maybe not their workplace, but maybe a nonprofit. Where they've served on the on the board in a structured with a, in a structured way,
1: and with significant budget. Now that makes a lot of sense. and it, and I think the more companies are, are looking at that and realizing that, I think it goes further down the path to really ensuring that you're creating those opportunities within your organization at much earlier levels, so that you do start to build that better and bigger pipeline of talent. Going forward, whether it's to benefit your own organization or, you know, the the next career pathing for your own employees, so I I very much am a believer in in that and being intentional in those actions.
2: If I may, Amy, you you hit the nail on the head. As as many have talked about the Great Resignation, what is really um, more germane to our discussion is the repositioning, the great repositioning of the role of corporates, of companies in society. We are um, being called upon, it's being demanded of us by investors, by employees, by um, customers, right? And communities that corporations not see themselves as islands unto themselves, but part of this greater ecosystem of how do we position working together, corporations and all those other constituencies so that we have a better world tomorrow. So looking at the pipeline issue in your own company is part of your repositioning yourself as being committed not only to your own returns on investment, but your employee being part of a higher return
1: ecosystem. Well said, well said. So, so in your mind, what are some of the more significant imperatives that the majority of boards, regardless of the size of the organization or the industries that they operate in, are wrestling with today?
2: And and we have how many minutes? <laughs> um, <laughs> the short list is really gets to the statement that no matter the size of the organization, it's often said. Um, our people are our greatest asset. well, can that become more than a statement? Can that become more than a speed bump and there are ways in which the in answering that question you there there's ample room for policies and governance so that we raise the floor of discussion about what a valued human being um what characteristics are, are of a valued human being in, in a company? Um, where, how does your corporate culture get defined? What is normal? And I think it's especially challenging as we emerge to live with pandemic as a normal risk, right? We've had two and a half years where it was, you know, first it was crisis management. For real, you know you want the health and safety of your employees. that was a priority. then clearly, it has worn um, gone down the road to mental health specifically because this as we we you and I have talked about this, living at work has become that is what is commonly called w f h working from home um, many employees. Talk about they now live at work um, because they have on the, the lights and, and are up with great discipline uh, to work. But how do we keep their mental health engaged? How do we um, then make everyone feel welcome and all parts of them? How can employees bring their whole self to work, be it from behind the screen or in an in-person Setting, and the 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 justification for me putting um, people are our greatest asset, and how do we make sure that we have an environment in companies of all sizes so that people bring their whole selves to work? We are living in a pivot time in business models, and not only because we've we have to figure out how to um, put embed ESG in our strategy, not as a sidecar, but in our financial materiality. So then it becomes something that is part of our uh, normal budgeting process, becomes part of our normal uh, capital allocation, decision-making process. We're living at a time when to to actually have embedded in your organization, the day-to-day challenges of your customers So that your product development, so that your M&A decision-making reflects solving real problems and getting value from from other organizations. It doesn't have to be built within the organization, but maybe you have an acquisition strategy. Well, what do you pay for when you're targeting an acquisition? Or the flip side of the M&A table, what do you hold fast as where you created unique value for which you are expecting a return in an M&A transaction. If you are not mindful about how you literally value people, I will be the first to tell you that you are going to be targeted for M&A and you are going to be paid pennies on the dollar from your expectations of what you
1: think is the value of your enterprise. I I couldn't agree with you more. What about some other that was that was a lot to kind of unpack there. Um, One of the things that, you know, I I think a lot of companies, again, regardless of size and and industry, uh, probably worse for some industries than others, but increasing regulation and disclosure expectations is something that, you know, I, I think more and more we're seeing we're seeing a lot of it coming out of areas that you just mentioned from ESG, mm-hmm. climate change, human mm-hmm. capital, all of all of the things you just spoke about. What what do you feel that the organizations that you work with and and what you've seen, how, how are they handling that? How is that being looked at by the board?
2: Organizations where I've had the good fortune of serving on the board, um, as, he, as you know, It's uh, an appointment that basically reflects alignment. And so to sit on the board of a Sunrise Bank that is partnering with fintech to make it the norm, that is a member of the Global Alliance in Banking on Values, that is from its inception, a B Corp, Um, to sit on the board of an IITA that is innovating to crack the nuts Lower carbon footprint while empowering entrepreneurs um, throughout Africa. World benchmarking line. These are all enterprises that don't rely on a check the box approach to what was mentioned before. People being at the center of of the the, the highest value in their enterprises. These are folks that. Um, what is coming out in regulation, uh, they are happy to see, but are not relying on seeing for them to take that on board as good business practice. And I I think for all those, um, for the responding to the 500 pages of the climate disclosure um, document from the SEC, I say that if the if if the SEC has finally put out uh, a document with proposed guidelines around disclosure, and and you are not there already disclosing how you are um, moving your business to take into consideration in business your business decisions climate change, then you are behind the eight ball. And so my response to increased uh, disclosure regulation is that your goal, a company's goal, should be less about ticking the box and just being compliant with what may come out in regulation and forge ahead as innovating their business model so that what you are being asked to disclose is already in your muscle memory and part of your regular business practice.
1: Now that, that's a great point. And, and, and I think if you if you really break down what these requirements are looking for, and I'll I'll bring cybersecurity into that one as well, because that's obviously another huge area that all companies struggle with. Um, or I'd say the majority of companies struggle with, but it it's it's thinking about it in terms of having the policies the processes the thought process behind all of these risk management exercises if you will thank you and allowing that to come forward through transparent disclosure i think you know the, the devil is in the details certainly within some of the components of the rules that are being put forth and and how to practically apply those but the overall concept of more disclosure and transparency I don't think most people would argue against. I think it's it's truly will be the, as I said, the devil in the details. But I I agree with you that companies aren't that aren't already thinking about this in these terms are definitely behind. And it's gonna take a lot for them to kind of get to a point where they can even start disclosing what they're doing because they have to figure out what they're doing first. <laughs>
2: so And, and yeah. in all fairness, they will say when their are standards they can gear up to address those standards. And I think that's being fair by pointing that out. That said, that does not acknowledge the fact that standards or not, the, 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 the internet is going to cough up your transparency if you do not take a systematic approach to okay. Your transparency. I heard uh, uh, a platform, a company that is an internet-based platform building community, and we were talking about um, putting out commitments, and then the 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 appetite to be surveyed because of scope one, scope two, and and now we're more openly talking about scope three, uh, kind of carbon uh, reduction goals, accounted. Goals and then to focus on the reduction, and they said what they did was not only put out the goal but then they started to blog about how they are working towards that goal and blog publicly, so it's an open blog, so that it's it held them internally through the transparency of that, held them internally accountable and it cut back on the sort of investigative reporting approach um, to to what's going on inside there um, kind of thing. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, the other point here is that not having a plan is a plan. So not having a, a plan on what you will disclose is a plan. And um, so inaction, says that you're not there yet and just raises more questions than a plan. And even if that plan says we're in a holding pattern until 18 months from now, everybody wants to know what by when and by, and, and how it applies to um, sub stakeholder groups Right. So we talk about consumers, for example, as if they're a homogeneous group. I dare say not. Right. Um, (laughs) we've, We've learned a thing or two about that. And so let's be thoughtful and intentional about our response to the street's demand. And when I say the street, I'm not just talking about investor street. I'm talking about consumer street. I'm talking about employee street, right? Um, Their demand for transparency.
1: No, I I agree. So so I I think with, with a lot of these priorities in mind, if we think about the boardroom of today, there's a lot of emphasis being placed by the stakeholders you just named on who is in the oversight role. So that is the composition of the board. So what steps are responsive boards taking to consider the appropriate mix of director skills, experiences, mm. and perspectives? So we, we we teed that up a little bit in the first question. So maybe you could just expand a little bit on that.
2: Right. Um, I think the the the, the smarter boardrooms are Put together a boardroom composition strategy, and that really gets to organizational design. so um, I don't know who's assisting them with this, but everything from augmenting the board numbers to have a strategy to bring it back to let's say it's nine board members today, maybe they augment to twelve and roll people off so that one doesn't lose um, lose institutional history in a hairpin turn in the middle of the night in the middle of the ocean kind of approach um, that's that's best practice Another really important practice is to is review of the skills matrix as we opened up with um, the journey to diversifying the boardroom sometimes feels as if there are trade-offs in some word some might say, Downward trading uh, to bring diversity into the boardroom. Well, are those homogeneous uh, boardrooms culturally homogeneous, gender homogeneous boardrooms actually uh, equipped to re- to review strategy for a business that intends to be part of the marketplace long into the future? And so, skills matrices that that don't include uh, curiosity, digital skills. How many boards are looking at their boardroom performance and looking at board members who are not savvy with the digital board book, right? So board assessment clearly is, uh, is, is much needed. And then I would suggest That reworking your skills matrix to include curiosity and part of the interview process being, you know, who do you know beyond your who do you know and how do you know somebody that is out of your comfort zone circle? What what point in your career or points in your career have you actually advocated for different? Right? So that you pull in people. At this critical moment in business where the business model through the ESG lens is the is is the is the approach for the future, um, you start pulling those skills into the boardroom. Got it.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. So maybe picking up on some of your earlier comments, wanted to ask your specific thoughts on directors who sit on boards in the middle market. So what what have you seen in your career that may distinguish how small and mid-sized company directors need to function to be more highly effective?
2: Here I will I will draw on on my experience in on the on the board of Sunrise Banks. Very collegial with independence encouraged. And it might be the characteristics of sunrise banks right so um, clearly an entrepreneur president and chair of uh, chair of the board it's privately held leans into that and was really and is really clear with the board that we are a risk management board so you bring your your are you sure you want to do that what are the implications of doing that and i think that no matter whether or not it's privately held or publicly traded, small company boards, middle market boards really um, have the opportunity to pull in board directors in a risk management framing, which means that you you have a diverse board, you, you have gender equity, you um, share very openly between yourselves and there's strong governance, right? So we, we have, I sit on the compliance committee, the BSA committee, which leverages my certificate in anti-money laundering um, so that we, we ask questions on that committee. And my background says, are, are the, the rules of questioning transactions, are they applied equitably? Across people of all cultural backgrounds, I'm paraphrasing, but um that becomes so my technical experience comes to play. my uh, cultural reality comes into play, and it is expected because there is risk management in the answer to that being no okay mm-hmm. um, so so, Very different from very small, very different from Fortune 500. I really think that there's an opportunity in the mid-market area to do this board composition
1: thing better. Yeah, and maybe that that goes with kind of my next question that I wanted to pose to you about, you know, directors all come to the table with varying experiences from their professional and personal lives. So we sit here today and we can think about the skill sets that may already be required, such as, you know, obviously the ability to consume vast amounts of data and make very quick decisions or as rapidly approaching us, leveraging machine learning, automation, embracing the non-financial imperatives that we spoke to earlier as part of the normal business strategy. Where do you see today and tomorrow's directors seeking the appropriate experiences that will help them perform their roles to the best of their abilities at the board level, the experience that they need to make director level decisions?
2: Wow. Um, You know, I'm one of the constantly curious types, and so I tend to to seek out training opportunities um, that are, if it's an area such as cyber, that's not a three-hour um, online course, right. <laughs> so right. really investing the time. I think that areas such as ESG and climate change take self-guided courses that go Um, over weeks, for example, and their assessments along the way. And then I'm particularly intrigued about um, scope three emissions in this era of supply chain um, changes. So how am I preparing myself and digesting and organizing my thoughts around that? I subscribe to a supply chain uh, news blog. To, to see what's happening with the logistics company. I also um, focus on blockchain. So I read, I'm a voracious reader about blockchain. And no, not crypto, blockchain, because the integrity of data is, is a real challenge. Um, humans don't do data input uh, cleanly all the time. And uh, the opportunity with blockchain is huge. And then also contributing to discussions um, around net zero and circular economies, because what one of the unexpected outcomes of uh, supply chain challenges after uh, the public health pandemic kicked off is do we to what is the real risk? a very long supply chain. So we are seeing shortening of supply chains where possible, and um, the the added advantage of shortening supply chains can be reduction in carbon footprint of products, right? So not to talk of jobs and and things of that nature. So I can only speak from how I prepare, I also know that that your um, that your em- employer, the BDO, does uh, provide opportunities for training for your clients um, in this in various areas, and I encourage uh, your 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 clients to not only see you um, in the realm that they've. Contracted you for, but ask you for some of these other trainings.
1: Yeah, thank you for that unsolicited plug. <laughs> um, but it's true. It's it's true. I think you know a lot of the other things that all of us can be doing to better our knowledge, especially in emerging areas that we see as kind of that next phase of, of business imperative. So Joyce, I really wanna thank you for being my guest today as part of BDO in the Boardroom, and hopefully we'll uh, have more opportunities to engage.
2: Thank you so much, Amy. It's been my, my thrill and pleasure to be in conversation with
1: you again. All right, well, thank you to our audience and stay tuned for more from BDO in the Boardroom.
0: Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com/BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit BDO.com/BDO Knows Governance.